My guest tonight is my dear friend and colleague, Katie White. I am so excited that Katie has agreed to join us tonight. Katie White spends her days working to transform the educational experience for teachers and students worldwide. She has a passion for helping educators develop a personalized understanding of the connections between curriculum, assessment, and instruction. Her sense of humor and responsive approach to adult learning makes her a sought-after professional to support systems and schools around the world. In addition, she is co-moderator of the well-known hashtag AT Assessment Twitter chat, and she is the president of the Canadian Assessment for Learning Network. Katie has served in multiple roles as an educator, from classroom teacher, online high school teacher, instructional coach, vice principal, principal, and central office leader. Katie has a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in curriculum instruction from the University of Saskatchewan. She has authored the following books, Softening the Edges, Unlocked, and her newest book, Student Self-Assessment, Data Notebooks, Portfolios, and Other Tools to Advance Learning. And Katie has one more book coming out in April. She's a do-it-all writer. And that book is entitled Concise Answers to Frequently Asked Questions About Assessment and Grading. And so without further ado, let's welcome to A Conversation with Brian, Katie White. Katie, welcome. I am so, so psyched to see my Canadian sister. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited to be here. That is awesome. Before we get started in, 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 in talking about your book, I want to share something because I want to tell the people how we met. Um, two years ago, everybody, about two years ago, maybe three years ago, we were in Bellevue, Washington. And Katie and Louise Cruz and Mike Matos and Nicole Dimmich and I, we were presenting at a conference. And this was the first time that I ever met Katie. And, you know, the first thing I, I, I realized is what this person was dynamic and she was just a powerhouse. But the second thing I realized that she was sick as a dog. Do you remember that? I I was sick. You were so sick. Um, but she was a trooper. Uh, she she powered through the, that three day institute, and I was just so just jazzed that she was a part of the institute. Um, she was dynamic, as I said. Um, she's passionate. She cares so deeply about our profession, and she just immediately became my sister. And so we've kept in touch. And I know that she's just just an amazing educator. And so Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I was sick. And I also remember that I was excited and um, I had laryngitis by the third day. Yeah, we felt but bad I just for kept, you. kept muscling through it. It was a really, really great experience. That was awesome. So Katie, before we start to talk about your, your work, um, tell us who you are. Who's Katie White? You know, tell us a little bit about your personal journey and your professional story. I don't know. Uh, you tell me who I am. <laughs> really? years, we're, we're changing, right? We're different people than we were two years ago. But um, so, so this is my 30th year in education. 
Uh, I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true. And I, I started out as um, I was trained as a high school teacher. That was what I thought I was going to teach high school English. And I taught high school English for the first time last year. So that's how long it took me to get into that um, wow. sort of the thing that I thought I started in middle years taught there for, um, oh, gosh, 10 years moved to elementary. Uh, then moved up to the high school, taught middle and high school and was a vice principal, then moved back to elementary and, and was a principal and then um, moved into central office. And then now I'm I, I taught last year again and I'm subbing this year. So like I just I feel like I, I, I don't want to be too far away from kids. That's what I'll say. I just like being around them. You know, before we, we, we came on Facebook Live, you were talking about uh, your your thinking in terms of education before you got into education it wasn't yeah. your first your first passion it was not in uh, you know although if you look at all my yearbooks where you're supposed to say what you're going to be when you grow up yeah. I was going to be a lawyer and then a judge and yeah. then um and then in grade 11 I want to say I took a one of those interest inventories and it said I should be a television broadcaster so I was pretty sure that's what I was going to do and uh, and you know what about I want to say six weeks before the end of 12th grade we had to give a formal speech and I gave a formal speech and my English language arts teacher um, called me and another student up to his desk afterwards. And he said, have you two thought of teaching? And I was like, no, my dad was a teacher. Uh, my grandmother was a teacher. My grandfather was a teacher, but I just didn't want to teach. Yep. And, uh, and he said that. And I thought, you know, maybe I do want to be a teacher. <laughs> so that's what I did. I just, I just went into education and haven't looked back. It's been wonderful. You know, it's hard to get away from it. It's like the, the family job, right? You know, like I, I, yeah. ask me, did I want to be a teacher when I was in high school and then in college? I'm like, no way. My dad's a teacher. I don't want to do that. And then look at me, you know, 34 years later and I had a wonderful year, uh, wonderful career in education. And so, yeah, Katie, let's let's get to your book because we only have like sure. five minutes, but let's get I to know. your work. You you, you are one, I, I say you are a prolific writer. This is your fourth book. <laughs> Or this, the book that we're going to talk about, self-assessment, is your third book. But you have another book coming out with some colleagues in April. But let's talk about you know, your book. You know, how does this book connect to your other books that you have written in terms of assessment? So I wrote Softening the Edges first, and I I say that's the book that kind of um, lays the foundation of of a, a way of approaching assessment that weaves its way through all of the other books. Right. So. Um, I talk about the holistic needs of, of human beings and how when we're assessing kids, we want to think about their social, emotional health, their physical health, uh, their spiritual health, all of those things that, are, that make us whole people. And that's really what I wrote about in that first book. In the second book, Unlocked, it's about uh, how assessment drives creativity. And again, it's like, how can we utilize assessment in a way that inspires and drives kids to high levels of thinking and creative output sure. um, and then self-assessment and so on. So, so that, that theme is, is throughout. And the other theme that I would say is present in all the books is the idea that assessment is not something that comes after learning. It's something that comes before and during learning and it's a catalyst for learning. And so if we can start to think of assessment in that way, it changes how we use it how we talk about it and how we respond to it. Yeah, you know what? When you talk about assessment, and I hear the word assessment, you know, coming up, I, I heard the word test, 
And yeah. I always froze and I always was like, oh, no, I got to take a test. And I, I just blanked on test. And so can you kind of talk about this idea of assessment in terms of, you know, what do we mean by assessment? Right. And because um, there are different types of assessment. And, you know, when when a, a kid, if, if we're thinking, you know, if, if we're not preparing students to understand what assessment looks like, they think that they're constantly being judged. Yeah, very much so. Um, I felt the exact same way. So I think assessment, uh, instead of thinking of assessment as a thing, it's a, it's a process. And uh, I always say there's three parts to assessment. There's, first of all, we have to think about our future state or where we're hoping to get to. Right. And those are often like our standards or our outcomes or competencies, depending on where you are. But also sometimes those are like goals that students have or social emotional goals that we have. But anyway, that's the future state. And then, and then there's the current state. So we're trying to figure out what kids are thinking and the skills they're developing. And that's really why we develop tools and we observe them and all of those things. And that's, and then, and then the third part is the distance between current state and future state and our response. And in our work with the RTI Institute, I mean, I know we talked about that all the time, right? Once we figure out what's, preventing kids from getting to that future state or what they still need to do to grow and learn, then we respond. But assessment is only as good as the response. If we don't respond, then why are we assessing? Sure, sure. And so why should we involve students? You know, why should we give students the opportunity to self-assess? Because this is something that for me, that wasn't happening when I was younger. It was just the teacher assessing me and it's like, okay, you did this, this is how you get better or whatever. So why should we we really invest in giving students that opportunity? Well, I feel like, um, you know, when you think about, when you think about assessment as being a process that we engage in to determine a student's current level of skill and understanding, uh, we're very dependent on, on if we're gonna make the right responses, if we're gonna take the right actions, we have to make sure that the evidence we're collecting is accurate and reliable, that, we, that what we see is what's actually happening. The problem with learning, and I say problem in quotation marks because it's the great thing about it, mm -hmm. is it's, in, it's internal. So it's quiet. Lots of kids are developing and growing and um, develop, you know, building conceptual understanding, but it's happening inside their heads. And so uh, that's the long way to say, why wouldn't we ask kids <laughs> what what their perception of their current level of understanding is, why wouldn't we engage them in success criteria and clarity about that future state? And why wouldn't we enlist them as, uh, I, I hesitate to even use the word allies because they are the drivers of decision-making. Yeah, it's their car, right? It's their, it's their steering wheel. So we, we wanna make sure that they can drive their car, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. it just doesn't make sense to me that we have denied ourselves as educators the potential for additional wisdom sure. about what kids know and can do by just not asking, by, by not engaging them. And so that's why I strongly advocate for yeah. self-assessment. You know, these last two years have been, you know, two, two years plus have been really stressful, you know, mm -hmm. pandemic and everything that's here, going here. on. So, so why now? Um, when th things still feel so stressful for everyone, why should we really invest in this idea of self-assessment and, you know, making sure that kids are involved in this process? Well, in my observation, first of all, I want to say I understand why we might feel um, as adults overwhelmed, vulnerable, unsure, uncertain, ambivalent. Like there's just a lot of feeling. 
And so I understand why in our worry about kids and their progress and our worry about our ability to uh, equip them with strategies and influence their learning because we're hybrid and we're virtual and then we're face-to-face -face and then we're virtual, it's, it's stressful. That we might say, you know what, the easiest thing is just for me to deliver instruction, give kids things to practice and go. Right. But what I would say is student self-assessment means that kids are our partners. They can help us monitor those incremental skills and understanding that we're trying to develop. They can let us know where they're experiencing challenge, what was too easy for them. They really can help us make those decisions that are really tricky to make when we're moving around so much, when there's so many variables. And so again, I go back to, um, I, I feel like we have to enlist the support of kids and their families um, to help us build continuity and consistency and the right kinds of support for students. I just, I don't know how we can do it without them um, because otherwise we're just shooting in the dark. So now more than ever, it's good. Plus here's, here's a side benefit. Student self-assessment builds feelings of agency and human beings are lacking agency right now. We feel like we have no control over what's going on. So anytime we can support our young learners with a feeling of control, with an under, you know, some input, some choice, um, I, think it's, I think it's good to remind them that while certainly COVID is something that we can't predict, we can talk about learning today and we can talk about choices we can make. And that just makes us feel like we have some control. Sure. Do you also think that student self-assessment gives the teachers some feedback on their teaching? Oh, so much, so much. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's really, it's good that you mentioned that. You know, last year when I was teaching online, I asked for feedback all the time because, you know, even little things like, um, I planned on this taking half an hour. How long did it take you? Oh, it took you an hour and a half. Okay, no, that's not what we want. So what does that tell me about the level of support that I might need to increase? Or was the text too difficult? Or, um, you know, like it, it really helps me tailor my instruction. So again, that partnership is the best way to make sure that the decisions we're making for kids are made with them so, yeah. that, uh, so that they benefit from that. You know, Katie, I was reading part of your book last night and, you know, the first part where you give those scenarios, the different yeah. grade spans, those are, that's awesome. Because for me, it tells any educator, this is for everybody, pre-K through grade 12. Can you talk just a little bit about your scenarios? Because it really, um, for me, when I started to look, uh, read them um, and they were, you know, different scenarios in different areas and, and, and it was, they weren't all the same. But the goal was to help students understand that they were the drivers, as you said, to their car. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I deliberately put those scenarios in for the for the reason that I wanted to show that even our littlest people can do this. Yeah. Also, um, I really wanted to to illustrate that self-assessment, because it's a process, it's it's a type of assessment. Assessment's a process as well. And I'm saying that the Canadian way, process as opposed to process. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but but because of that, I, I want teachers to feel comfortable with the idea that it doesn't have to be an event. It doesn't have to be a handout. It doesn't have to be a stop, drop everything, and let's talk about our learning. It can be very embedded. So in those scenarios, we have like crouch and converse where you sit and 
and you have a conversation with little kids playing yeah. or you know you're you're engaged students are engaged in collaborative work and you're interacting with them in a, in a group situation and you're asking them questions that invite them to establish their intentions and reflect on their success sure. so it's actually very organic yeah. it doesn't have to be another thing to do it's just a acknowledging things that we already do and then enhancing them or refining them. So we're really inviting kids to be part of that decision-making. Yeah, I, I loved um, reading your, your your first scenario, um, the, the primary summer yeah. center book, because it really reminded us or reminded me of our book, What About Us? Mm -hmm. State Work Process for Pre-K through Grades 2, because we talk about, um, you know, using assessment through play, right? And yes. so, again, it was very organic because, you know, Tracy Hewlin and Jackie Heller, two of my co-authors, co along with Diane Kerr, they really talk about the art of questioning. And so yes. what we're doing when kids are playing, we're asking questions, they don't even know they're being assessed, right? They just keep playing. We don't want to interrupt the flow of their play, but you, there's an art to this. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I just love that part of your book. The other part of your book that I, I really liked was the, the, the part about building shared language. Um, you have a number of terms that you um, wrote about in your, in your book, self-assessment, self-regulation, reflection, self-evaluation, and so on. And I'm not going to get too deep into it, but Becky DeFore used to say clarity precedes competence, right? Mm -hmm. and so by you making sure that right off the bat, your readers knew exactly what they what you meant by these terms. So as they will go through the book, they're not confused. So I, I just wanted to give you a kudos to that because I think it's really, really powerful. So the other part is um, this idea of misunderstanding about assessments. Um, do you think mm -hmm. that contributes to the process um, for them being less successful sometimes where people just don't really understand the idea of assessment? Yeah, I think I think some of the primary misconceptions that people hold, and I and I write explicitly about some of them for sure, is is first of all that self-assessment comes at the end. So it's it's this is synonymous with kids looking at a rubric or assigning themselves a grade. Um, I'm super clear, I hope, in the introduction that that is not what this is. Yeah. It's assessment as a catalyst. And so Sometimes people will, um, you know, express concern that kids overinflate or undervalue their work. And that is true. I mean, that's part of the, you know, when we don't know what we don't know, it's right. really, really tough to hit that target or, or have an accurate understanding. But when you view a self-assessment as a catalyst for conversation and decision-making, a student accuracy, I mean, that's part of our job through analysis is to help them understand success criteria, see whether that criteria is visible in their work or not, um, invite them to think about strategies that they could use to develop that criteria. So it's, it's not about, you know, can ki a kid assign a grade and is their grade accurate? It's, right. it's like, how can we, like you say, how can we use conversation and play and, um, you know, that sort of organic process to inspire. So I think that's, that's, that does prevent people. The other thing that I noticed a lot with my own children when they were setting goals is, and then again, last year, I have to say when I taught, is students, when you initially ask them to set a goal, they will set a goal around self-regulation primarily. So I, you know, like last year, I would say to kids, you know, what's, what, what are some decisions that got you closer to your goals and what are some decisions that got you further from your goals? And the kids inevitably said, I need to put my phone away. 
or I'm going to try and work for 20 minutes instead of 10 minutes, or I got to get my little sister out of the room. It was all around distractions and, you know, you know, setting their learning environment. And that's fine. My own kids would say, I'm going to keep my locker clean, or I'm going to try to write more, whatever. Um, But those kinds of goals are not the kinds of goals I'm talking about in the book. I'm talking about kids really thinking about what they're trying to achieve in a short period of time. So they're like short-term goals, um, what strategies they would employ, what, what might they try, and then having them also experience either success or non-success and letting kids feel the impact of decisions that they're making so that they can make different decisions if they need to. Um, And I just think that's a really important nuance with self-assessment that's maybe misunderstood. But I think it's it's also a part of that growth mindset when you say they can experience success or not success, because if they're not experiencing success, that's an opportunity to grow. Um, totally. That's really, when we do our best growing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's important for us to help kids understand that that growth mindset and that we can get better and better with effort and re- with reflection and all the other things is really critical. Mm-hmm. In your in your uh, book, you talk about um, portfolios. Um, and data notebooks. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, those two things in relationship to self-assessment? Sure. So we don't have to do them. Um, We can engage kids in self-assessment based on a single artifact, product, or performance, or whatever. Um, And that's perfectly fine. The advantage of data notebooks and portfolios is it allows us to draw students' attention to longitudinal development. So, I mean, I I think that there's already... Um, a bit of a misconception by kids that an isolated assessment event is just that it's isolated and when I'm done it's done so when I'm done this test I'm done and when I'm done this I handed in this assignment I'm done and I I really think it's important to help students walk towards the notion that learning is continuous that revision is important reflection is critical and and so a portfolio and data notebook allows students to compare artifacts from different time periods, to um, sort of document their learning journey so they can put in their messy thinking and their brainstorming and they can put in drafts and and then they can think about how they got to that finished product or performance based on decisions they made so that they can repeat those decisions next time. All of that sort of longitudinal, hey, who are you as a learner? What have you learned over the course of time? And the last thing I would say is they allow us to really celebrate. I think, I think both teachers and students lose track yeah. of how much growth happens in a year, but a portfolio or a data notebook makes that extremely visible. So that's important. Thank you. What's, what's the teacher's role in um, self-assessment in terms of the data notebook, data notebooks and portfolios? I mean, because you know, it, sometimes teachers will, will have these elaborate data notebooks and portfolios but the kids are just saying, well, this is my teacher says I'm supposed to do this. So what, what yeah. is the teacher's role? It kind of depends on the age of the kids. It kind of depends on, I mean, I, I say as one of the very first things I say in the first chapter is you as a, an educator need to be clear yourself about why you're doing it. Yeah. Um, what are you hoping to accomplish? And if that's not happening, then, then adjust, right? Like, so The role of the teacher, though, I think I would caution teachers from curating everything that goes in there. 
Right. I, I've, I've seen teachers absolutely spend evening after evening uploading student work and photographs and videos. And that's the, that's the teacher's portfolio. That's not the kids. And that can get um, overwhelming. The teacher can say, you know, so I could be right now the teacher would be saying, I can't do this. You know? I can't. Yeah. So if we view portfolios and data notebooks as less of a photo album and more as an evergreen, um, you know, growth, always changing sure. document, yeah. Uh, then we can be less concerned that it looks beautiful and more concerned that kids are heading back into it and making reflections, that they're using it to propel decision-making, that they're becoming familiar with success criteria and goals as a result of it. And so I think as, I mean, even our littlest people can make decisions. Lots of teachers are using um, apps like Seesaw and things like that where students can upload things themselves. It's very intuitive. And I just encourage that. Um, so teachers are encouragers. They help kids curate. They set, um, you know, they design reflection questions, analysis prompts. They provide time for students to do that. And then um, here's a really big one. They build into their learning plans recovery time so that when students self-assess, if a student says, I see I need to do this, they aren't out of time. Yeah. then the teacher can say, hey, guess what? Great news. Tomorrow you have 15 minutes to do that. Let's do that. Right. Let's head back into our work or let's apply what we've learned with this work to our next piece. So, um, so I think that they're, they have to structure, they have to build in time into their learning program for students to reflect and also recover. And that's huge because if you don't do that, then people say, I don't have enough time. If you don't put it in up front, then you're going to be trying to catch up at the end. You're saying, you know, when can I fit this in? And so you at the beginning of a unit or be, be yep. the beginning of a cycle of instruction, you're going to say during this period of time, the kids can have time to reflect and, and respond. Yeah, it might be like every Friday for half an hour is reflection time, or it might be at the beginning of every class for the first five minutes, we're going to set intentions. And for the last five minutes, we're going to reflect on whether we met those intentions. It can be um, you know, every two, once every two weeks, we're going to head into our portfolios and look at our progress. So it's, you're right, it has to be built into our unit plans um, as part of an essential sort of set of skills that we're developing. Okay, let's change gears a little bit. Okay. Um, in your final chapter of the book, you discuss privacy, which is really wow. kind of just popped out at me. Um, why do you think this topic is so important and how does it relate to self-assessment? So I feel like I have another book that I need to write about this topic at length. I just touch it, right? And I feel you like it finished, was... You just finished your fourth book. Oh, my gosh. Oh, one book, it just now. It's okay. wore me out. And you're, you're <laughs> talking about a fifth book. I know, I know. But anyway, I really... this idea of privacy. What, what does it have to do with self-assessment? So it's just, it was more a question that I'm just posing. It's, it's an observation. My observation is this, when we think about our school environments, there is very little that students do that is private. There's very little time during the day when their failures aren't public, their successes aren't public, their, um, you know, everything that they do is, is out there. And, 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 and it's part of, I mean, it's, to be fair, it's, it's, we're constantly trying to look for evidence. So we have to ask kids to produce it, sure. kids, but in my, in my second book, Unlocked, about creativity, I, I reflect on the notion that when, when human beings are involved in creative processes or cri really deeply critical thinking, 
Um, they, there's a moment for all of us, when you think of yourself as a creator, where you're not ready to share. Yeah. Sure. It's personal, it's private. So you're, so like when I write a book, I'm a weirdo, but I don't write a proposal with a chapter. I have to write the whole book. And, and I know I'm absurd that way, but for <laughs> me, I don't know what I'm going to end up with until I end up with it. And I'm not ready to share it until I'm comfortable with my message. And I think there's very little space for kids to have those feelings because sure. everything has to be public. So this is the question I pose in that last chapter is, is there a time and a place um, when we're using data notebooks and portfolios or self-assessment where students can just have five minutes to reflect on their work and their struggles and their strengths and not hand it in, share it with a partner. Right. Like it's their, it's their private thinking because I think it also lends um, strength to the idea that they hold agency. Yeah. And um, as long as they're accountable for every single moment of every single day, it's really tough to hand over agency. What makes us independent as adults is someone isn't checking up on us all the time. And so I think there's a time and a place to say, you know what, you're going to write a reflection today about how it went and you're going to keep it, or you're going to write five reflections. And I, I would like to see one of them that you can pick which one you're ready to share. And so I just think being cautious, it really relates to safety. Sure. Um, you know, that sort of notion of being okay and it really helps kids become more comfortable with the idea of failure if failure doesn't always have to be so public. Yeah, I, I think actually it helps creativity as well. Because if sure you don't, does. sometimes if, if you're not, nobody's looking over your shoulder, you, you can be free just to do your own thing, right? Yeah. It's like your own, your own diary. You can write in your diary, but if somebody's going to look at your diary, then you might not write. A whole different thing, a yeah, whole different audience. Whole and di what a, what trust are we communicating to kids when we say, I trust you to write for five minutes and not share it with anyone but you? Like that's, that is such a gift to have someone say, I believe you're going to do this. And if there's the odd kid who doesn't, like we might say, well, how do we know if the kids are doing it? We don't. Yeah. And, <laughs> it's okay. and they might not be writing, but it may be in their head, right? Mm -hmm. They're thinking. So you just, mm -hmm. just don't know. Um, let's, let's turn to our youngest learners, which I love because we wrote a book about this. Um, you know, when we talk about self-assessment for our youngest learners, um, is and, and I, I'm asking the question, but you've written about it. You know, is this something that can happen in every grade? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, and and in the last chapter of the book, I offer three, I think, suggestions for how teachers of of our littlest uh, people might structure this so that it works best for them. But one of the things that I talk about actually at the beginning of the book and in all my other books <laughs> are something that I call the sub skills of self-assessment. So there's, um, there's a number of them and I won't list them all, but there's things like noticing, describing, right. um, analyzing, comparing, connecting, all the way to self-forgiveness and empathy. There's, there's the, all of these parts of, of self-assessment because self-assessment I love that. Self-forgiveness and empathy. And I'm serious right. because what do we need to, right. with the stress of the world today? We need so much. Empathy, empathy and self-forgiveness. So I love totally. that. Totally. So, you know, so if you have a student who even, it doesn't matter what age, but you have a student who, who you think is overinflating their self, they, they say everything they're doing is really good or they're really beating themselves up. I head right to that self-forgiveness 
subskill. And I say, you know what, I think there's something here that we might want to attend to because either you're afraid to acknowledge that you have growth that you need to do, or you're way overemphasizing the growth. And that really all comes with forgiving yourself for not being perfect, for making uh -huh. mistakes. So those sub skills are smaller pieces of the broader skill of self-assessment. And with our littlest people, what I definitely encourage teachers to do is to just take a sub skill and focus on it. So we don't have to do the whole big self-assessment. Let's practice noticing and describing. Let's stop and say, hey, let's think back 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. What happened when you were playing? What happened when somebody took a toy that you wanted? Let's notice what happened. Let's describe what happened. And then if we have the opportunity, we could say, how might we do that differently? Or, um, you know, and then we can move on to, to the skill of, of goal setting. But I think maybe giving um, teachers of, of young children not only permission, but like reinforcing that they're building the foundational skills that will eventually develop into complex self-assessment. Yeah. In your last oral, you, you, you do, let me back up because I want to make sure I frame this the right way. Um, you decided to write a whole chapter on celebration. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> why? Why did you just to, to write a, an entire chapter on celebration? Well, first of all, because we don't do it enough. Um, but, but more than that, I think celebration is more nuanced than we give it credit for as well. So um, when you think as an adult learner, lifelong learner, um, when you do something well, uh, the best way to celebrate you, how do you like to be celebrated? And I think some adults would say, I love public acknowledgement. Others would say, I like a handwritten note. Yeah. Some would say, I just like somebody crouching and saying, hey, I noticed you did this. Some people might say, I don't need someone to tell me. I like sitting on my own and just journaling about it or thinking about it. And so when we think of celebration, I think how we like to be celebrated is as individual as the, the human beings that we serve every day, right? And so letting kids think about how they're comfortable being celebrated um, whether it want, needs to be in a group or individual, how that might happen. And then there's a second component in that chapter. Um, who do they want to celebrate with? Yeah. Um, we, of course, want to be the people who kids want to share their good news with. And we can certainly be part of the equation as their teachers. But some students really want to share with a mentor or a family member or a friend or even their pet doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and that and they need to be given permission and opportunity to do that. So in that chapter, I talk about how to make celebration personal and meaningful and tangible. You know, Katie, I think you're right. You know, we don't celebrate enough. Um, there are so many stresses that are, happen throughout the day and so many challenges, but there are so many victories. There is so much to celebrate and we so just don't much. do it. And celebration really for me is like a fuel to your tank. And when you don't celebrate, you're going to run on empty, right? And mm -hmm. so we have to, you know, help, you know, build in this culture of celebration. So I'm really, you know, thankful that you wrote an entire chapter on celebration. Yeah, I feel like I feel like one of the one of the things that we have to acknowledge as, a, as educators is that our work lies in the gap. I mean, that's why we have jobs is because there's a distance sure. between current state and future state. Yeah. But if all we're ever looking for are, is the gap, that's all we're going to see. And, yeah. and I feel like, you know, we, we then teach kids that you've handed this in, check, next. And so we're always looking forward. And I just feel like we need moments where we intentionally stop, 
and look back and say, holy, that was an awesome trip. Like, let's talk about where we've come so far and, and really celebrate that as teachers and students. We, we all need affirmation. Yeah. I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to ask you to tell a story that you told me before. And I think it really will end on a, a great note. But, you know, the, the, the final question is, you know, what features of this book can help teams um, explore this idea of expanding self-assessment into the classroom? I love the idea of teams taking this on, even a trusted friend uh, or colleague, because it's tough and it's not going to go well all the time. I mean, I, I did it last year a lot in my teaching and it failed as many times as it was successful. So it's nice to have someone who you can share, share those celebrations and those stretches with. Um, the, the book itself has, like you've mentioned, scenarios that have reflection questions afterwards. So what does this tell us? Um, at the end of each chapter, there's, there's specific reflection questions for teams, things that you can think about. There's templates that a, that a group of people, you could take one and say, let's all try this, yeah. different age groups, different subjects, and let's see what happens. And then let's talk about how we might develop this skill. So there's lots and lots of features and opportunities in the book for teams to take this on and, and give it a try. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned that space, that gap that we, we talk about a lot. And, you know, one of the things that I think we as educators do very well is we, we can identify weaknesses. Mm -hmm. but what we don't do as well is identify all kids' strengths, their okay. gifts, their passions, you know. And so you told me a story um, about a team that you were working with. Mm -hmm. that You said, you know, let's start with strengths. And can you tell me that story again about... Um, the team that um, you're working with, and it was like a writing sample or something. It was. You just kind of talk about that because I think sometimes we 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 forget that um, there are a number of ways that we can help kids understand that they have a strength. They have multiple strengths, and I think sometimes we as teachers we want to help, and but we go straight to what do they need support? What is the remediation or the intervention? And if a kid is getting pulled out all the all the time or is, or is getting remediated for a weakness, then that's who they think they are. Yeah. So, can, so you, can you tell that story a little really quickly about that, that, that idea of, you know, strengths? Start with strengths. Start with strengths. That's my theme. So, um, so to, to recap quickly, it was a fourth grade team. Uh, I have to give full props to this, this, I worked with several fourth grade teams in my own school division here in Saskatchewan. And, uh, and they I learned so much from them. But this was a particular team. And it was one of the first times we were together. And we had brought, asked the students to do some writing, and we brought their samples and their samples were in the middle of the table. And uh, we had brainstormed success criteria, we talked about what goals we were working on, and then we were analyzing the work. So we weren't scoring it, we were just analyzing it, or as I like to say, harvesting it. I love it. I, I, I know. I hold it and I, I use it all the time now. Harvest strengths. Harvesting strengths. So yep. we were harvesting strengths and needs. And uh, and that work comes, I have to give props to Nicole Dimich in her design in five. I mean, mm -hmm. that the process is described in detail in that book. It's a fantastic book. But um, anyway, so we were harvesting strengths. And, and I talked to them about how I wanted them to look at student work and, and on a sticky note, just put down uh, you know, one to three strengths that they noticed. Um, and that's all they were supposed to do. Right. And the room, the room was silent and um, everyone was busy doing it. And then a teacher who'd been teaching for a while said, uh, she threw down her pen. She said, I just have to say this. And I said, what? And she said, I, I've never, ever 
looked at student work for strength alone. And I said, how does it feel? And she said, it feels optimistic. I feel, I feel like I've maybe done something. And I said, that's great. And we talked about how when we live in the gaps, that's all we see. And, uh, and they went on to continue to harvest strengths. One of the things that this teacher did um, is she went into her classroom the next day and using those writing samples, she wrote down every strength that she had witnessed in the students' work. And when the students came in, she handed them back their assessments, which had nothing written on them, by the way. Um, and she said, I'd like you to get together with a partner. All of you have at least one strength on that board, at least one. Most of you have more than one. I want you to look at your work and your partner's work. And I want the two of you to decide which of those strengths belong to you. And the students had to identify which strengths were theirs. And then they, then they got to celebrate it. And every student had a strength, which was- Think about really how amazing. that made them feel, right? You know, I, I say to teachers, imagine starting every class with, I had a look at your homework last night and I wanna tell you what you're doing right. Yeah. Like, I just, I, I just feel like it's just such a wonderful thing. So, so the students harvested their strengths and based on those strengths, they, they decided that those were things they were gonna do in their next attempt that day. And anything where they didn't hold a strength or it was a strength yet to be developed, right. those became their goals. And it was just such a profound, she said she just could not believe the tone of her classroom. So starting with strength, teachers, please start with strength yeah, that isn't awesome. for your own sake. Yeah. Katie, we're almost out of time, but the, I know. the last thing that, that I'd like to say, and you've been awesome. Thank you so much for, for spending some time with me this evening. Ditto. You know, we Ditto. haven't really, and I haven't seen you in person since that time in, in Bellevue. Um, and we've communicated, but I, I, I really miss you. And I think that, um, the, you're a gift to the world uh, with oh, what you do. Thank you. Um, but as I've said a couple times uh, over these last 40 minutes, we're in a, a challenging you know, time right now for, for educators. Um, and I don't want to sugarcoat it. Um, we still have to do the work we, because those kids are counting on us. Um, Bob Aker says, on your worst day, you are some child's best hope. And so I know educators, it's tough, but some child is still looking to you, teacher. Mm -hmm. To, to, to help me, to, to get me through this. But what would you say to educators now? Because I know you're working with educators all over the world. Um, what would you say to them now um, as we try to continue to move through and, and um, do the best we can on behalf of kids? Well, I remind educators that we're in a, a space that has a technical name. It's called the limbic space, or it's the space between what was and what will be, uh, the in-between space. And in this space, we feel uncertainty and fear, and that's normal, that's, that's part of change. This one feels really long. So I would just say, hey, teachers, <laughs> grieve the loss of the old because we've lost a lot of things and give yourself permission to feel sad sometimes. Um, question changes that are happening, question your practice, look at the impact on kids so that where we end up is better than where we were and be gentle with yourselves because honest to goodness, um, we are no good for kids if we're, if we're not okay for ourselves. So um, be gentle, uh, take time to ask questions and take time to, to grieve if that's what we need to do. Katie White, thank you so much. You've been you awesome. Um, thank you, thank you. I'm thrilled that you asked me. You know, Flattered. I, I, I um, when you said yes, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting Katie. And it, it, I, I really appreciate you coming on. And I know it's been a long day because you've been working all day and, and, and coaching 
teams, but um, your passion and your professionalism and, and just what you bring to our profession um, is a gift to the world. And I'm being serious. And you all buy the book um, and your, your next book that's coming out in April. I think that's going to be a great book, you know, frequently yeah. asked questions. Um, I think that's going to really help a lot of people. And so uh, take a breath. Shout out to my co-authors, yes. right? To Tom Shimmer, Cassie Erkins, Nicole Dimmich, and J.D. Miller. Yep. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Katie, take a breath and don't write another book for another week. <laughs> but uh again you know thanks so much for coming on and we'll talk to you soon thanks brian katie white was so awesome tonight i really want to thank her for coming on a conversation with brian is brought to you by the answers in the room educational consulting llc bkb feel free to check me out on my website brianbutler.info We'll see you next time, everybody.